So welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. It's springtime, still feels a little bit chilly for me, but it's springtime, it's a busy time of the year, there's a lot going on here in our church body, there's a lot going on in our life groups, as you can see there's a lot going on in community groups, there's a, there's a lot of things available here for you to plug into, and we are excited and we look forward to seeing how the Lord is going to use us. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is David Ferguson, I'm one of the pastors here at Oak Ridge, and we're glad that you're here with us in the building this morning. Um, we are, if, you're, if you're online, if you're watching us over, over Zoom or, or, on the, um, or on the message archive, you are welcome. We're glad that you're participating. If you are on Zoom this morning, I encourage you to stick around after the message is over. After this message concludes, um, there will be breakout rooms where you can hang around and you can fellowship, or you can talk about the message, you can share with one another, you can catch up with one another, you can pray with one another. I encourage you to stick around if... Uh, if you're, if you're available right after, immediately following the message. So, question for you. Question for you. What is desirable in a man? What comes to mind, men, when you consider this question? What comes to mind, women, when you consider this question? Strength, honor, godliness, success, Ponder your answer to that question for a few moments. We are in the midst of a new sermon series called God's Good Design. Um, it's, it's talk, it, we're talking about what Scripture says, what God intends as He created men and women. We intentionally engage relevant topics here at Oak Ridge. Um, our goal is to show that the truth of God's Scripture is relevant for everyday life. It can affect us. It can impact us when we apply faith to his scripture, our lives are changed, starting with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We accept the scripture. We uphold the Bible as God's truth, and that's where we look for truth in our life and every day. That said, our goal, my goal, our goal is to speak God's truth with grace and love and peace and gentleness where possible, but also firmness and confidence and humility as God leads us. So last week, two weeks ago, Eric kicked off our series. He reminded us that men and women are created in the image of God. Men and women are absolutely equal in essence, dignity, and value. And we are just, but we are distinct by his divine design. He also reminded us that we often, during a series, we're often going to be speaking in terms of marriage, but we affirm I affirm that singleness is not a second-class state before God. We come into the world single. We spend a large chunk of our life single. God cares about us and our singleness, and you don't have to be married to experience all that God has for you. Last week, Pastor Mike Lowe shared with us about God's design for men. He reminded us that real men reject passivity. They expect God's blessing. They accept responsibility. They lead courageously. He also invited women, even though these, these couple of messages are, are directed, intended, and designed for men. M women, don't tune out. Don't, we have, for one thing, we need your help. Men, as men, we need your input and your influence in our lives. And also, don't worry, there's some messages that are coming that are designed for you in the weeks ahead. If you'd like to catch up on uh, these messages, please check us out at oakridgecc.org. 
You can, uh, you can, you can find our, our message archive, these messages, our previous series. You can leave feedback on the messages. You can ask for information and, get qu- and have your questions answered about our church and uh, get in touch with us. It's super easy on our website. I invite you to check it out. So, what is the answer to the question, what is desirable to man? Proverbs 19.22 says, what is desirable to man is his kindness. Does this answer surprise you? Men, how do you measure up to this standard? I remember a long time ago when I was in college and I was thinking about wanting to get married and longing to get married. What do women want? What do women want in me? And I I remember reading that verse one day and it surprised me a little bit to read that. What's desirable to man is his kindness. And we're going to talk about a lot of different aspects of our life as men this morning. But some of the things that that I'm going to ask you to do, I'll ask myself to do first, but I'm also going to ask you to do is evaluate how you're doing on some of the categories and some of the things that we're, that we're doing. If you're like me, you may find yourself falling short in many ways. You may find yourself falling short in many ways. I just have one encouragement or admonition for you. If you find yourself falling short, do not despair. You're not allowed to get crushed and despair and fret over much. If we fail to measure up to God's design, which we do, I do, we need to understand why before we can understand what the solution is. So if you would, let's take a, let's take a look. The, the reason why that we fail to follow, measure up to God's design is we are sinful and broken people. We are sinful and broken people. So what is the definition of sin? It's almost become an obsolete word. It's almost become a churchy word. So Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, says sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. Any failure to conform to God's moral law. Okay, so it's academic, straightforward, maybe too easy. Maybe we should make this a little more personal. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read a passage. I'm not, I didn't put it up on the screen because there's a lot of verses, but I'd like, if you have your Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 3. Your phones, your pads, whatever you got, open it up. I'll give you a moment to find your spot in your Bible or in your phone app, and we're going to read together. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the trees, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man and he said to him, where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you walk in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband." and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And I submit myself to your word. I, uh, I, I thank you for this account of Adam and Eve. I pray that our hearts would be humble and sober as we see their temptation and their bad choices, their fall, and their marring before you, God. I pray each of our hearts would be soft, Lord, and we'd listen and learn from you. Amen. So the fall of Adam and Eve, a simple story with profound consequences. If I'm honest, if you take time to go back and read this again, we kind of blitzed through it there, I encourage you to go back and read through it more slowly today. And if you're like me, you'll see many of your own tendencies in Adam and Eve's responses. And I see many of my tendencies as a man in Adam's responses. And if I fail to live up to God's design for who he wants me to be and who he designed me to be, it's because of sin. Now, sin is, it manifests in a couple different ways. First of all, sin can be an intentional act. It can be an intentional act and it can be an omitted act. In verse 6, we see Eve actively indulging in temptation. She takes the fruit and she eats it. It's a rebellious act. She knows it's wrong. An omitted act. And, hide, and, and if you look in verse 8 there, it says, Adam and Eve, they hid themselves from God. They were, they were, it was normal for them to be felt in fellowship with him. It was normal for them to seek God in fellowship. But they hid themselves from him. They omitted that from their life. The Ten Commandments, which we're not going to read through in detail this morning for the sake of time, they're structured in a similar manner. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And the Ten Commandments cover our actions, and the last one covers our attitude and our thoughts. In fact, Jesus, as we've talked about before, Jesus elevated the Ten Commandments to something that affects our words, our thoughts, and even our intentions. So as sin affects our actions, sin affects our words, it's our thoughts, it's our hearts, it's our intentions. But you know what else sin is? And this is a tough one to bear with. Sin is our unconscious acts as well. Unconscious acts 
matter. Our corrupted nature, our fallen nature, means that we do things wrong. We break God's moral law, and we don't even know about it. And the reason that is because we are deceived. We've listened to lies, and we are deceived. In, Psalm, in, in Psalms 19, King David wrote, he said, How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from delivered sins. Don't let them control me. We are deceived. It is the worst state. It's one thing to know you're doing something wrong. It's one thing to know that you're avoiding something you ought to do. The worst thing is when someone says, you did this and you hurt me and you didn't even know it. And you're like, I didn't even know it. But we are accountable before God for not only our actions and our omissions, but even our hidden faults. That's pretty serious. And the effect of sin is serious as well. So what is the effect of sin? We're separated from God. Verse 8, we see Adam and Eve hiding. They're separated from God. Verses 12 and 13, we see this blame game going on. Adam, why'd you do this? Because of Eve. Eve, why'd you do this? Because of the serpent. It's a blame game. There's woundedness. There's dysfunction that erupts from when sin influences our life. And then finally, and most importantly, there is death. God told, God told Eve, you're going to experience this death is going to manifest immediately in the pain of childbirth. And for men, for Adam, it's like he, he says it's, it's far-reaching. The, the earth is cursed. Creation is cursed. Your work is cursed. This is symbolic of the death that we experience. Separation, dysfunction, and death. In the New Testament, Paul clarified it. He brought it home very clearly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Paul said, for the wages of sin is death. It's more than separation. It's more than dysfunction. Sin is rebellion against God. It's violating and rejecting his moral law. It's violating his authority to tell you what's true, what's right, and what's good. And it's more than just childbirth pain. It's more than just hating Monday mornings. Ultimately, the penalty for our sin is separation for God forever in hell. And that's serious, and that's real, and that's sobering. And these are all the reasons that we don't function according to our design as men and women. And you must come to terms with your own sinfulness at one point. I must come to terms with my own sinfulness at some point. You have to be willing to acknowledge, I am a created being. I am accountable to God. I have rejected his law. And now I'm, sometimes I'm so messed up, I don't even know what I'm doing, what's wrong. So that's, that's these are the obstacles. There is hope, which you're going to talk about. But these are the obstacles we face as people, and especially as men, as we seek to live up to the ideal and the design that he has set for us. So our ideal, it's, it's corrupted. Our design is corrupted. So let's make this specific for men this morning. Sin is what impairs us as men from, from functioning as God designed us to be. And I want to look at three vectors of attack against you men. Three vectors of attack. First is internal, internal. 
Internal can be our flesh, our body, our weaknesses of our body, flaws of our body. It can be um, our heart, our mind, our attitudes. It can also be cultural. It can also be it can also be a spiritual attack against us. We're going to go through all three of them this morning. Um, if you would, turn with me real quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul describes this again. He describes this nature of the attack against us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that is now working in the sun's of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. These three things are in ourself, the world around us, and Satan himself are opposed to us. So let's talk about what these internal threats are, these internal corruptions are that we face as men. The first one is our, if we are, we are designed to be providers, we're designed to be initiators, we're designed to be, we're designed to have strength and to use it to serve God and to serve those around us. But this gets corrupted, this strength, this initiation, this drive we have to go and do and succeed, it gets corrupted into selfish aggression. And that aggression can often manifest in many areas, but three areas, violence, physical violence, emotional violence. It can manifest as lust. It can manifest is anger. And I'll be honest, I'll pause here for a moment and say some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning are hard. And we can only brush the surface on some of these things. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt by others. Some of you have been hurt by the very people, the very men in your lives who are supposed to be caring for you and giving to you and sacrificing for you. And if I touch on a wounded spot, please bear with me. Don't tune out. Don't despair. And if your conscience is pricked because you're struggling with something that we're going to talk about this morning, don't push it away. Don't rebel. Don't reject what might be the Lord speaking to your heart. If we're controlled by our, if we allow our drive and our physicality and our emotions, if we allow that to be corrupted into brute force or manipulation or intimidation, it can be physical, it can be verbal, it can be emotional. It can manifest as roughness or criticism, mocking, sarcasm, mea culpa, sarcasm withholding of affection, using money or power to get your way with other people, demeaning others in order to put yourself up. These are things that can be corrupted and can be bad, th things that our flesh will and drive us to do. These are external things that sometimes are easy to see and easy to condemn when we see it in ourselves or in other people. But you know, there's another way that we can, our, our design can be flawed. Another internal way that our design can be flawed. And that is selfish passivity. 
And you notice both of these are selfish. Both of these are selfish. Selfish aggression, selfish passivity. We're supposed to be servants, but servants, sometimes they fade to the background, right? And they let other people go forth, but we can fade so far to the background that we go behind the curtain and we're no longer engaged with what we need to be engaged in. We're supposed to be protectors of those around us, our families, the people in our lives, but protecting can sometimes morph into enabling where you refuse to engage people that need to be engaged in your life. We are supposed to be humble and exalt God and put others first, and that's a good thing, and that's a trait you'll spend the rest of your life building. But sometimes that humility can be can, can degenerate into apathy. And there's others. I'm sure you'll think of other categories of comparison. I think, when I think of this, when I think of this passivity, this trait of passivity, Adam exemplified it. In Genesis 3, 6, we just read, he says, Adam took and ate. He stood by. So it's not super clear from the text what happened. Was, you know, was Adam standing next to Eve and like watching the serpent, like tempt her and watching her take, make, talk to him and, and, then, and then watching her take this fruit and watching her eat it and then just like, okay, whatever, you did it, I'll do it. Or was he like somewhere else completely when, when his wife was being tempted by Satan, by the serpent? And then when, he, when she came to him and she offered this, offered this to him, instead of, instead of lovingly seeking for her restoration or confronting her, he said, well, you did it, I'll do it. He made a passive choice to follow in that moment and it was devastating for all of mankind. Someone who's passive, do you seek to avoid conflict rather than seek its healthy resolution? This manifests in our lives in many ways too. Refusal to lead, uh, excessive escaping of reality, silence when words are needed, making excuses, complaining, procrastinating, Secret sins, you know, if the, aggressive, if the aggressive men are out there in your face being jerks, maybe a passive flaw is us thinking we can do things in secret that no one will know about. Laziness, ignoring the people around us. And this, 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 this ends up with us being apathetic towards God and towards the people around us. So these are internal things that we face as men. These are internal pressures that we face as men because of our fallen nature, because of our sinfulness. There are also cultural pressures on us too as men. When I think of these, when I think of, there's, there's many, you'll probably think of some that I don't think of. But I think of, I think of when I think of cultural pressures, I think of the parody of, man, of men, the parody of masculinity, the parody of what it means to be a man that our culture paints for us. The, the par- one of the parodies is the hapless man-child. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, it's the TV show or the movie or, or whatever where the husband's being led around by the nose by his wife and even by his children. He's the, he's the silly one. He's the, he's the dumb one. He's the, he's, the, he's the passive one while life happens around him. Not that he has to be the center of attention, but very often this 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 is shown as this is what men are. Yeah, it was funny in 1982 when the first sitcom came out, but after 40 years, it's a devastating prophecy and prediction, and even temptation for men to fall into that parody. Another parody that the culture paints 
is, it's called toxic masculinity. It's a meme. It's a common thing that you hear. And if by toxic you mean violence and lust and anger and abuse and selfishness, sure, sure, that's sin. It's to be rejected, and that's not what masculinity is all about. But it, it morphs. It morphs. The culture doesn't mean these excesses and these sins. The culture would not even recognize the concept of sin, by the way. What it's talking about is anyone displaying a masculine trait, drive, initiative, confidence, initiation, displays of physical strength. These are God-designed things. Men, he built you this way. It's good. He said, it's good. It is good. He built you this way. It's not toxic for you to demonstrate this strength and this confidence and this drive for achievement in a godly, measured way. It's a good thing. It's not toxic. The culture is toxic. These are parodies that are painted. There's other direct attacks. There is a direct attack on sexuality. And of course, that affects women as well. But in terms of men, there is a corruption of sexuality. One thing that, I, that I've been thinking of lately is there, there are three different types of love talked about in the Bible. There is agape, which is God's unconditional love. It's unconditional love we have for the people around us. There is phileo, which is a brotherly love. It's a, comra- it's a comradeship. It's a, it's a sense of community that we have for one another, men and women, but men for sure. And then there's eros, of course, which is the physical intimacy described between a man and a woman. In our society, in our culture, we see, we have seen, we're continuing to see the death of phileo, especially for men. Especially for men. It's okay for men to have close, positive, healthy relationships with one another. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. That sense of belonging, that sense of friendship. But the culture seeks to sexualize everything. It's like Eros is attacking and invading phileo. It's fine for, for men to slap each other on the back, to give one another a hug. In some cultures, men holding hands or even kissing each other on the cheek is seen to be a manly and masculine thing. But our culture attacks and seeks to sexualize everything. It's not healthy. And we are entitled to uphold God's truth and choose God's truth as opposed to what the culture paints. Amen. Close male friendships are good, and they're solid, and there's tons of positive examples of them in Scripture, starting with David and Jonathan. I encourage you to read about that. The examples of the New Testament writers traveling around the Mediterranean, relying on each other, depending on each other. Don't let culture tell you that bonds between men Physical displays of friendship between men have a sexual component. They don't. Another, the the last last but not least vector of attack on us as men is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. So open with me, if you would, to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 44. Jesus is talking. He says... 8 John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He's criticizing the Jewish authorities. Pretty brutal language. 
Jesus speaking. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He says he was a murderer from the beginning. Jesus takes his word like a spear and stabs back through time all the way to the creation story. A murderer from the beginning. Cain murdered Abel at the beginning because of his own corruption, his own sin, his own violence. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Remember what we said about deception before and how horrible it is? Here's the simple truth. Believing lies produces deception. Believing lies produces deception. This is why it's critical for us to affirm the truth of the scripture. It's critical for us to read the Bible. It's critical for us to obey the Bible. It's critical for us to share the Bible with one another, to affirm God's truth. Because when we believe lies, we become deceived and we don't even know what we're doing wrong. And this is one of Satan's main tools. One of the lies that he tells, Satan tells through the culture, is that there is no difference between men and women. It feels like that's something relatively new, but it's really coming on strong these days. One of his lies, there's no difference between men and women. Surely ye shall not die, said the servant. And you notice in our culture that the concept of homosexuality is morphing into the idea that there's no such thing as gender. Surely ye shall not die. You buy these lies. If I buy these lies, we will, incur, we will be deceived and we will be hurt ourselves and we will hurt those around us. So what's the purpose of his lies? What's the purpose of Satan's lies and the demon's lies? One more verse, John chapter 10, verse 10. We'll, actually, we'll start in verse 9. Jesus says, John 10, 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Who's this thief? Is it a thug wandering around the mountainside looking to steal sheep? Is it someone that's looking to break into your house? Is it someone that's hacking your bank account? Through online? No. Who is this thief that comes to kill and steal and destroy? The devil. devil, Thank you. And you know what? One of his, he uses lies. You know what he uses as a very destructive thing, especially in the lives of men? Is pornography. You know what's interesting about pornography? Pornography is a unique blend of selfish aggressiveness and selfish passivity. Pornography, indulging in pornography, whether it's, it's something on the computer screen or whether it's a magazine or whether it's you know, entertaining thoughts in your mind or daydreaming or fantasizing, whatever it might be, it's a unique blend. We are indulging our lust in an ungodly way. But you know what else? It's passive. It's a passive evasion of our responsibility. If I desire to be intimate with my wife, and I do, because she's awesome. 
If I desire to be intimate with my wife, and yet she's hurting, or she's wounded, or I've been an idiot, what's the likelihood that's going to be a healthy or beneficial experience for her if she's hurting or wounded or I've been an idiot? It's not likely. If that's the situation, then I have to do the work of restoring a relationship, of repenting, of drawing her out, of doing what it takes. And that takes time. It is work. Emotional effort is work. Building a house is work. Constructing a project is work. Emotionally engaging with those around you is work. It takes time. It's a heck of a lot easier to push a button on a screen or flip a page in a magazine and get your sexual urges satisfied. It takes work to nurture the relationship of the love of your life and to make sure that she's in a healthy spot and that she feels value and that she's enjoying her time with you. Don't shirk the job of nurturing her and go for the easy, corrupted, lazy satisfaction of pornography. Again, you can look up, the, it's devastating. The statistics are devastating. And this is not something that you've talked to your children about. I encourage you to talk to your children about it. You might be surprised as what they share with you. I know there's been a few times in my life when I've talked to my kids and asked them what's going on, and they shared some things with me that were surprising to me. And afterwards, I was ashamed that I wasn't more closely tied in with what was going on in their life. This is gross stuff, right? This is, this, is the, this is the very pit, some of the lowest things that we, have to, that we have to face in our life. But sometimes we must face these types of failure in our lives. In our lives. We have to face this, or we have to face it in the lives of those around us. But thank God. Thank God, in spite of our internal weaknesses, in spite of the attacks of the world, in spite of the hatred and the lies of the evil one who just really, really hates you. Hope you get that point. We, Jesus, Jesus, defeated death. Jesus is the victor. Jesus has won the battle. As his children, as those who have access to his truth, we get to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. Salvation through faith in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, the cleansing that he offers us, the forgiveness for sin that we have. We offer hope, and ultimately also seek, we offer restoration. We'll keep, let's keep moving here as we wrap this up. This restoration was looked forward to. Even in the passage we read this morning, God told the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is a direct prophecy of Jesus' victory on the cross. Not an easy victory, but it is a, it's a definite victory. The good news is, Paul, in the completion of the verse that we shared before, Romans 6, 23, the completion of that verse says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The start of our journey is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. If you struggle, if you're struggling with any of these things that we've talked about, then I'm calling you to start the journey 
by coming before God, acknowledging His sovereignty, acknowledging the truth of His word, repenting of your sins, receiving the forgiveness that He offers through Jesus Christ. Maybe your sin's deep. Maybe it's not so deep. But it has the same consequences whether you think it's relatively small or big. And thankfully, the same hope is offered to you as well. The same hope of forgiveness, the same hope of restoration, the separation is healed, the dysfunction is healed, although it's not overnight, as many of us know. You can't just snap your fingers and see the consequences of sin dispelled. But there is hope, and there is healing, and there is a goal for restoration. And that's a reminder I want to give us as a church family. One of our goals is we, one of, the, one of the paths that God offers us is restoration and healing. Restoration in our lives, restoration of relationships, restoration of our role. Rebuilding and us reaffirming the design that God gave us as men. So questions for us as men. Oftentimes we want a bottom line and a goal, right? So let me ask you a few questions. Are the people that you influence flourishing or dying? Are you building or consuming? Are you awake or are you deceived? Practically speaking, you can assess what's going on. It's one, it's one measure. It's not the only measure. But you can, you can assess what's going on by seeing what your effect is in the lives of the people around you. Again, the book of Psalms 128. It says... Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. This is one of the things that success looks like. I encourage you to talk to one another. What are other things? What are other aspects of health and success? You know, you don't always control the responses of those around you. And, you know, we do our best sometimes and people don't respond the way we want to. And that's not on you all the time. But you do influence the people around you. And this applies to single men as well as married men. Are those around you flourishing or dying? Are you cultivating or are you consuming? Okay. We'll skip that one because it looks like it's a little bit wacky. Um, so going back to, our, going back to our, our initial thought, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. Women, here's where you come in. What do you want from your men? Do you desire a man who's balanced in his masculinity and his tenderness, his drive to succeed and his ability to focus and slow down, his ability to do physical work and his ability to do emotional work? You want this balance? Then I ask you, women, to consider what do you reward in your behavior, in your attitude, in your relationships? What do you reward and what do you respect in the men around you? This is something that you can do. And we can encourage one another. Women can encourage one another, pointing to God's truth, helping each other to respect the healthy, God-ordained qualities that God has for us. So our redeemed design, the truth of the matter is, if we set God's truth aside, that we are going to, we're going to pay the price, and those around us are going to pay the price. The good news is that God has made a way for His design to be redeemed through Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness, there is restoration, and fruitfulness to be enjoyed. Men, honor him, and you will become a source of life, and you will become someone who builds things that last for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we, um, 
we, we hear these words, I hear these words, and I acknowledge my weakness, I acknowledge my frailties, I acknowledge my failures, and I'm so grateful for the salvation you've offered through your son. Lord, we desire to be, we desire to be undeceived, not despairing at our sin, Lord, rejoicing in the forgiveness you've offered us, Lord, acknowledging your design, affirming your design, Lord. Lead us, restore us, make us those who cause others to flourish around us. In Jesus' name, amen.